Welcome back. I'm Ralph Kuhlman and I'm a union steward at Wallingford Station in Seattle. Last episode, we talked about the determination and sacrifice that our fellow workers exerted in 1970 to get a collective bargaining agreement, pay increases, and what was believed to be better working conditions and hours. Just to highlight what they did, what they accomplished, when they won that collective bargaining agreement, the minimum wage for a new hire in 1970 was equivalent to $67,954. The minimum wage. The maximum a letter carrier could earn went up to the equivalent of $93,536. And they could go from the minimum to the maximum in a five-year period. Think about what you earn right now and think about what that means or what that meant in 1970. Suddenly, letter carriers could afford to live in the communities where they delivered mail. And in fact, if we had those same standards today, you probably could afford to live in the same community you deliver mail. Let me put that into even more perspective. I live in Seattle. In 1970, the median price of a house was $23,000. If we index that for inflation, you would have been be paying right now today $181,070 for the average price of a home in Seattle. In all actuality, the median price of a house in Seattle is $796,406. Think about that. Almost $800,000. Housing costs, even if we got back to the wage scale of 1970, is four times what it was in 1970 if you index for inflation. That is huge. That means we would need even bigger wins in order to make our wages comparable to what they were in 1970. That's what's happened in the past 53 years since the great postal strike of 1970. A slow drip, 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 and the erosion of our living standard and our ability to support our families. Anything that we won that year, we also won a collective bargaining agreement that gave us a national contract. And that national contract brought many, many things to the table that should have given us an equal chance to, to work and develop and grow with the United States Postal Service. Unfortunately, 
I don't believe that's what's happened. I'm going to go over some of the things that we won in that contract, and I would probably say the very most important thing that we've won is the grievance arbitration process. We could now have union stewards in every shop representing our carriers and grieving and use going through a process that settled it, hopefully at the lowest level. We also had the recognition that we had the right to be a union and that the National Association of Letter Carriers was part of that right. <clears throat> we won the right of non-discrimination and to have our civil rights not only recognized, but respected at all times. One of the things management won was the fact that they had the right to manage. And I hear it all the time. Management has the right to manage. And management has held on to that with a firm grasp for the past 53 years. In fact, management has taken that article, Article 3, and manipulated lots of other things in our contract. The fact that technological and mechanizational changes are supposed to be mutually developed and agreed upon between management and labor. No, that does not happen. Secondly, that there's a prohibition on unilateral action. Again, that doesn't happen. Think about the big processing centers that are going in now. Think of the change in our work schedules that happen constantly. Um, the third thing is something that was buried fairly deep or is buried fairly deep in our current standard. It's called Article 34. It's the work and or time standards. We knew as a union in March of 1970 that as soon as that contract was signed, the most important thing was that an eight-hour day, an honest day's wage for an honest day's work could only be maintained if we could maintain the standards of where we are. And that is probably the biggest assault that's happening to us right now by USPS management. The one-hour office time in the morning the 22 minutes of time on the dock, the drop and go at the end of the day, the constant, continuous walking on routes with carriers they do not feel are, carry, are moving fast enough, the no stationary time that killed a carrier in Houston is all an effort to undermine the amount of work we do in eight-hour day, to squeeze us, to push us, to bleed us every minute, every second of every day. In Seattle, there was just a grievance one where the, the manager of a station was ordering all of his carriers 
to have their scanner on them every second of the day up to and including when they went to the toilet. Think about that. They are pushing it to the point where they want every second of our day accounted for, monitored, and have the ability to control us no matter where we are or what they're doing, even during our most private and in intimate moments. That's how far we have drifted from our original contract. We work the same 10, 12, 14 hour days that our coworkers fought against in 1970. We make less money than they do. We pay four times the mortgage in Seattle than we could before. That's the reason we have to be vigilant. That's the reason we have to constantly be fighting and struggling to keep the gains we had in 1970. And to be quite honest and blunt with you, we're losing. We're losing that all the time. And if we don't stop that drip and we don't turn the tide, all of that sacrifice and determination will be gone. It is gone. Now, we need to fight to get it back. And we need to do that in a completely coordinated, unified effort that I do not see on the part of anybody in the upper echelons of our union today. We, we either win or we lose. In the words of one of that carrier from Cincinnati in 1970, by being unified. Of course, if you look at that list that I have posted, Article 18 says that we cannot strike. And, of course, we couldn't strike in 1970. And I'm not even advocating for a strike. What I think we can do is creatively work together to push what we want in a way that makes sense. We can't strike. We can protest. We certainly shouldn't be allowing union stewards to be put on indefinite emergency placement and they held off the workroom floor for 50 days and counting. We don't have union officials who are actively and aggressively getting their stewards on the floor. We have completely given up the battle. Now is the time. Today is our 1970. We need to stand up. There was a recent article in the New York Magazine on the UAW strike. And one of the most telling reads in that whole thing was, a, was that a poll showed that 75% of the country sided with the United Auto Workers in its battle against the 
auto companies. If 75% for, for UAW workers, 90 to 100% would support our demands. We need to get out there. We need to be unified as a group. And we really need to make our, our demands known. Because today is the day. We've lost everything as far as I can tell. We've lost wages. We're back to the same work hours. We're constantly disciplined. Management can pull union stewards off the floor indefinitely. And we hear the same mantra over and over. Just do it and grieve it later. Well, I'll tell you right now, 50 days later is way too late. My carriers need to be represented and my union has to start up and stand up and start making that happen. So that concludes my union contract soapbox and my imploring everybody to start getting organized and active and to seize the moment. I'd like to thank Corey Walton for shouting out this podcast a couple weeks ago. I got, uh, I'm getting lots of contact from people throughout the country who have started listening. I have a, an addition from somebody called Master Bruce Wayne, who's a Michigan mail carrier. In response to my, what the what, we won that grievance? Um, he gives me a number of examples of things he's won as a union steward. I'm just going to read this one. Last story is my favorite. One of my fellow carriers farted on the workroom floor and they disciplined the carrier for conduct unbecoming. I have no idea what conduct unbecoming even is. Unfortunately, our president at the time was really incompetent. Management won that grievance at step B, and for six months, if the carrier had to fart, he was instructed to go to the men's room. Hopefully some of these stories will cheer you up a little. Hang in there, brother. We're rooting for you. Keep it up the good work. Finally, I got an email from a carrier in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, <clears throat> I'm working on two unacceptable attendance cases that could use some help if you have some good advice and or material I could review. I really want to stop the welcome back package in three days, a quarter you get for discipline for. The others are making deals. I want to make a difference. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. I just sent some materials to that carrier. Uh, I know that that is an issue throughout much of the country. Um, there is no welcome bat package. That's documents made up that are not real and should not be used. If anybody's having a similar issue, I can send them some information on that. And Regular attendance in no way is defined as more than three days in a quarter for discipline. Again, I can help anybody out who needs that. Uh, I think that should conclude this episode. I will be 
posting one more episode on the grievance process and then I'm hoping to be returned to work and I will start dealing live real cases with all of you here at Dignity and Respect. Well, that concludes today's episode. I'm Ralph Kuhlman, and I'm a union steward at Wallingford Station in Seattle. I'd like to thank all the clowns that made this podcast necessary. The stellar management staff at Wallingford Station, the incomprehensible team at the Seattle Postmaster's office, ordering brutal commands in an effort to enforce the metric of the day through the entire city and beyond. And finally, everybody at upper management at USPS. Your identification of the metric of the day makes all of this insanity possible.